Pastor Xavier Reese says the only way to eternal life is the way of an empty tomb. We live in a world, ladies and gentlemen, that is intolerable to what I'm saying. That there's only one way, John 14, 6. There's only one name, Acts 4, 12, Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator, 1 Timothy 2, 5, Christ Jesus. No one can get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. He's the only one who has died and risen from the dead. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The various founders of the religions of the world are all dead and buried, and remain so to this day. But the religion of Jesus Christ centers itself upon a tomb that was found empty. His triumph over the grave gives believers hope of life beyond this life. The simple truth is that because He now lives, we can live with Him eternally. But the assurance of full eternal life belongs only to those who have lived their lives in view of the empty tomb of Jesus. Let's listen as Pastor Xavier discusses the hope that filled the empty tomb. In John chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 1 to 23, and the message is entitled, God Fills Empty Lives. Easter Sunday was characterized by three things in our text here. First, the empty tomb, verse 1 through 10. Second, the empty woman, 11 through 18. And thirdly, the empty disciples in verse 19 through 23. The empty tomb was an absolute essential. Notice verse 1 and 2. Mary Magdalene misunderstood the empty tomb. She came early in the morning while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Other women came with Mary also, Salome and the other Mary. Again, the other synoptics tell us very clearly. So you got to put Matthew, Mark, and Luke together and you get a full picture of all that happened. Now, as they're going to the tomb, their conversation was, who's going to roll away that stone? And as they're thinking and conversing about this, Though it was a legitimate concern to an extent, it's huge. Some of you have been to Israel, you've been there, the Gordon's Calvary, the tomb where the big rock is put over the face of the cave. There's no way you're going to move that with not a couple of women. But what they didn't know, an earthquake had already taken place and the angel had rolled away the stone. Again, Matthew 28, 2, Mark 16, 3, and Luke 24, 2 tells us. Mary ran to tell two of the disciples, John tells us here in verse 2. First she came to Peter. She came to the other disciple. This is John, the one who Jesus loved. She came and told them both, someone has carried away the Lord's body. I don't know where they've lain him. And yet Peter and John, hearing this, they have to go see for themselves. They inspected the empty tomb in verse 3 through 8. And he saw the linen clothes lying there. The conclusion being that no one had stolen the body. In verse 8, John also entered the tomb now. This time John saw and believed. The word saw there is different from the one in verse 5 and 6. It means to know, to be aware, to be sure he had risen. You were somewhere and somebody preached the gospel to you or told you about Jesus. And you didn't believe, ah, you know, I don't know the Bible, whatever. And all of a sudden, at a set time, at a set point, boom. You believe, you believe that Jesus was God. You believe that he died for your sins. You believe 
that you would be judged one day by the grace of God, the illuminating, convicted work of the Spirit of God. Not because you're so smart. This is what happened to John. Secondly, the empty woman is presented to us, verse 11 through 18. In 11 through 13, Mary was consumed with her sorrow. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping and sobbing as she stooped and looked in. Mary sees two angels in verse 12. The examination of the other gospels will show that angels were seen at different times and in different manners throughout the visitations to the tomb. The one that rolled away the stone had the nerve to sit on the stone and wait for them. And we'll see some other ones as we move along. One sat here now at the head inside the tomb and the other at the foot of the, where the body laid. A beautiful fulfillment of the Old Testament. You remember the Ark of the Covenant. There was a mercy seat on top of it with a little crown of gold all the way around. On one end was a cherub, the other one another cherub, with their wings crossed looking down the center. You have the two angels. What do you see in between them? The Shekinah glory. He's risen from the dead. If there was a body there, it would have been a bummer. <laughs> There's no body. Thank God for that. Mary is mildly rebuked by the angels in verse 13. They asked her, why are you weeping? She tells the angels they, most likely the Jews, had taken away her Lord and she didn't know where they had laid him. She turned around not impressed nor excited about the angels because when you're looking for Jesus, angels are no big deal. Jesus created them. They're messengers for the earth of salvation. She turned and saw Jesus standing there, and she didn't know that it was he. Verse 14, Jesus said to Mary, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She was so consumed in her sorrow, she supposed Jesus was the gardener. Jesus calls out to Mary, and she addresses him, Rabboni, which John interprets for us, teacher. Verse 16. Jesus tells her to go tell his brethren, the disciples, that he was ascending to his father and her father, to his God and her God. The new relationship had begun in effect. He was their brother, and God was their father. So Mary was obedient to her commission here in verse 18. She told the disciples two things, that she had seen the Lord and that she was giving them the words that Jesus told her to give them. She was the mere messenger. Notice she departed from the tomb with fear and great joy to the disciples. Matthew 28 tells us this particularly. Easter Sunday was characterized by an empty woman. She was overwhelmed with sorrow, but comforted because Jesus rose from the dead. Notice thirdly, you have the empty disciples of verse 19 through 23. Circumstances were not peaceful, verse 19. The account was in the same day, Sunday, but in the evening. The door was shut. The disciples were assembled due to their fear of the Jews, because at this point, the Jews are going crazy. In fact, they're the ones that secured the guard, the Roman guard for the uh, tomb. They believed more about the resurrection than the disciples did. The Lord Jesus came, and he stood right in the middle of them. The word of Jesus was, peace be with you. Jesus showed them his hands in the side. 
They represented the payment for the sins of the world, the love of God for the world, that which provides peace with God for justification in Romans 5.1. You see, if we don't know Jesus Christ, then we are enemies of God. The wrath of God is upon us. And Jesus died to make the provisions for our reconciliation that we no longer be at war with God, that we no longer are under the wrath of God. But as we call upon him, we can be saved and justified. Jesus turned their fear into gladness, notice. Perfect love cast out all fear, 1 John 4.18. Jesus proclaimed the peace that was to accompany them in their commission. Not the peace of the world, but the one he had told them about and promised them in John 14, 27. Not as the world gives, but as I give. And the world you have to realize and be a good cheer, I have overcome the world. This peace will surpass all understanding, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says. But before we can have the peace of God for the situations of life, we have to make peace with God. We have to repent and be justified. So peace with God means my repentance, recognizing I'm a sinner and that he died for my sin, rose from the dead. The peace of God is once I'm a Christian for the situation and circumstance of life to hold me. Jesus was sending them as the Father has sent him. That's why he spent three and a half years with them. He kept telling them this, but they didn't hear. Once you're born again, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. And so the disciples were equipped to preach the word of God. Whoever God calls, he enables. Look at verse 22 and 23. Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit. The fact was that at the same time, the commission took place. The act reminds us of the account of man's creation by God when he breathed into the nostrils of man and made him a living soul in Genesis 2, 7. Without God's spirit in you, you're dead. Trust me. It's when God breathes into us his life that we see life for the first time. And we can live life the way we're supposed to. Never with perfection or unto perfection. That's not what the Bible teaches. But you surely live a lot different than you did before because now he enables you. He gives you his spirit. He gives you his word. He gives you his mind. The experience, notice, was not merely symbolic nor should it be explained in such a way. A literal thing happened here. The event was a real reception of the Holy Spirit into their lives at this point. There is no contradiction with the promise that Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come upon them. They should be witnessed in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. They received the Spirit here, the baptism, as the birth of the church in its official form at the day of Pentecost. The authority of their preaching was on what Jesus accomplished. Notice that. So he enables them, and he gives them the message. Two other times this phrase is used. Some translations of the old King James has binding and loosening. And the first one is in the context. The words speak allowing and disallowing. In the first place, Peter was given the keys of the kingdom, if you remember, in Matthew 16, 19, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he opened up the day of Pentecost. The second regards church discipline in Matthew 18, 18, binding or loosing, allowing, disallowing, retaining, remitting, different English words, but the same Greek word. The passage in our text here is talking about the efficaciousness, 
the sufficiency of the atonement for all the sins of mankind by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection. The good news is to be proclaimed that he did die, he did rise from the dead, that the recipients adhering it have to make a decision whether that is true and they believe it or that they don't believe it because they don't believe it's true. And based on that response, if someone says, I believe that Jesus is the one who died for my sins and rose from the dead, like the Ethiopian eunuch, then I have the authority after I take you through a sinner's prayer to say to you, your sins are cast as far as east as the west. All your sins, everything you've ever done, has been forgiven, blotted out, and you will never have to give an account for those sins. I have that authority because I understand the gospel you just did. But if you reject or want to become sort of like a moderate and different, well, I, you know, I just, you know, no choice is a choice in itself. You've chosen not to choose. You're for God or against him. There is no neutral point. And if you reject it, whether you're real cordial, whether you're real whatever, then I have the authority to tell you, you are still in your sins. They're still retained, and one day God will judge you for your sins, and you will not have a second opportunity to be saved. So you have that authority, and so do I. But I must be very clear that there's only one way, John 14, 6. There's only one name, Acts 4, 12, Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator, 1 Timothy 2, 5, Christ Jesus. No one can get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. He's the only one who has died and risen from the dead. Allah cannot get you in. Krishna cannot get you in. Peter cannot get you in. The Pope cannot get you in. You certainly cannot get you in. Nobody. Now we live in a world, ladies and gentlemen, that is intolerable to what I'm saying. Easter Sunday was characterized by the empty disciples who were fearful until their eyes were on Jesus and commissioned to preach the gospel. You see, God has saved you not just to come to church, but to be the church, not just to sit in a chair or a pew, but to minister the gospel to your family, your friends, where you work, wherever it is. Nothing compulsive, and I certainly don't suggest that you be preaching while you're working. You should be the best worker. You should give your employer the best eight hours of anybody in that place. Witness them on your break, before work, after work, be an example. Now, emptiness can only be filled by Jesus then. Like Mary, who was filled with sorrow over the empty tomb, many are um, consumed with sorrow for many disappointing things in life. Maybe um, a loss of some goal in life, never realized, a career, schooling. Maybe you're about to marry and the person changed their heart and mind about you crushing things. Maybe the loss of a loved one, a father, a mother, a child, a spouse. The world is filled with tragedies and sadness. We live in a fallen world. Like Mary and the disciples, if you do not know the scriptures, then you will just go back home. And even though you may have hope in Christ, you really are not walking within your hope. You just come in and then you go out. 
Some do not know the scriptures because they haven't been born again. So, of course, they, they can't understand the scriptures. But others who are Christians, though they have the potential, they don't because they don't study, they don't grow, they don't mature. They don't reckon themselves dead and mature in Christ, so they live as carnal people, as people who haven't been born again. They still live for themselves. And like Mary, many are blinded by their sorrows without hope in Christ, living a life of hopelessness and defeat. Now, when it first starts off, whatever the scenario, you fill in the blank. It's hard and it's difficult, but as you keep going day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, it gets heavy and old, regretting their lives and living with resentment, anger, and bitterness, resorting to a life of drugs, whether they be legal through prescription or illegal. It's hard to tell today anything. Or a life of alcohol or promiscuity sexually, ending up with therapy and psychology, very costly, and it just ruins your health all the way around. Because the only way you can ever have the peace of God is when you know your sin has been atoned for and forgiven. Because no one can undo or redo anything they have committed. We don't need to understand. We need to repent and be forgiven for our sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the precious blood, Peter says. No amount of works, no amount of money, no amount of facade of expensive clothes, expensive cars, living in the expensive neighborhood. It's a facade. You're still in your sin. Like Mary, if you will respond to the words of Jesus, you can be comforted for your sorrow and cleansed from your sin. He reveals himself as the risen one from the dead, able to give you hope in life. He wants you to be forgiven for all your sins. He wants to give you the peace with God and then the ability to have the peace of God for your journey through life. And to be able to reach to others and comfort them through the gospel, give them true hope. Like the disciples, fear gripped them tremendously. It'll grip our lives too if we get our eyes off Jesus Christians. Now, the non believer, much more because you're trying to arrange and control and, and try to work through it. But as Christians, if we um, don't resort to the Lord, if we don't resort to the Word, if we don't resort to prayer, if we don't repent of our sins either, then we're out of fellowship with God and we don't have the peace that surpasses all understanding of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. So we forfeit something that's really ours available, but we try to handle it our own way. The conditions may never change, but my awareness of the word of God and the promise of Jesus and my humbling myself and submitting myself and dying to self, then my joy will be focused upon the Lord in Philippians 4, 4. Not the circumstance, not the situation. The only way is to be filled with the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16. No other way. And like the disciples, Jesus commissions you to preach the gospel. Not just me, a teacher. All of us. We have different callings, different gifts, but we're all the same. I'm just like you. I am one among you and from you. 
I'm only a little higher so you can see me, not because I'm better than you. So all of us should have the heart to communicate to God, especially in the day that we're living in our nation and the world. Hopelessness. For the first time, this hopelessness is starting to bring real fear to the American public. Things are changing so radically. Once again, the hope is Jesus Christ, no one else. The true story of mutiny on the bounty was often retold. One part deserves retelling was the transformation wrought by one book. Nine mutineers, six native men and 12 native Tahitian women. They put ashore on Picaran Island in 1790. One sailor soon began to distill alcohol. Well, you know what's going to happen. A little colony was plunged into debauchery and vice. Ten years later, only one white man survives, surrounded by native women and half-breed children. In an old chest from the bounty, the sailor one day found a Bible. He began to read it and to teach it to the others. The result was that his own life and ultimately the lives of all those in the colony were changed. Discovered in 1808 by the USS Topaz, Pitcairn Island had become a prosperous community with no jail, no whiskey, no crime, no laziness. One book, the Bible. Now, do you put the Bible on the same level as your arithmetic book? Your history book? You're making a great mistake. It is God's word. And when people hear it, if they open their heart, it will transform them. No jail, no whiskey, no crime, no laziness. It doesn't say the capacity was not there. All of us have the same capacity, even as Christians. But what is it that restrains us now? Laws? No. It's the Spirit of God in us. Understand one, one day I'm going to give an account to God for my life. I'm not going to fizzle out. I'm going to stand before God. Easter Sunday was characterized by emptiness that can only be filled by Him. If you're thinking, well, my situation is different. It isn't. My situation is impossible to you, not to God. You don't know what I've done. God does. It doesn't matter. Jesus forgave Paul the apostle. He persecuted Christians. He incarcerated them. He caused them to blaspheme. He killed them. And God called them to repentance. He repented and he forgave them and used them as his instrument, a great instrument in the New Testament. That's the type of God we serve. Easter Sunday was characterized by these three things. The empty tomb, which was misunderstood, the empty women, who was overwhelmed with sorrow, particularly Mary, but comforted. And the empty disciples, who were fearful until their eyes were on Jesus and commissioned to preach the gospel. He asks you today, who are you seeking? Why are you weeping? I'm alive. I can change your life. I can take care of your sorrow. 
Pastor Xavier Reese with an assuring simple truth of how full, eternal life belongs to those who have lived their lives in view of the empty tomb of Jesus. Now, today's message has been titled, Jesus Fills Empty Lives, and is available on CD for only $4. And by the way, we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. So the title to ask for once again is, Jesus Fills Empty Lives. Or you can simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.